Good morning. Come on, LAC. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, my name is Matt Sawada. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, again, once, once again, it is an honor to open God's word with you today. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? 24. 24 weeks in the book of Ephesians. That's cool. Yeah, you're right. 24 weeks. This series began in September, seven months ago. We took a little break right around Christmas. And we're, we're, we're wrapping Ephesians up today. I get to tie the bow on the, on the series this morning. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's an honor. I've got some friends here. They're coming down with a Bible. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll hook it up. This is our gift to you. Um, if you have a phone, feel free to check out that version app. Go to the events tab, LEFC. There is a lot of scripture that we're covering today. And so I've actually listed it all out in the version app. It will probably be pretty helpful for further study if you want to look there. Well, we've spent seven months in this short epistle. Seven months and six chapters. 24 sermons. I'd like to ask you to, to pause. I'd like to, I would like to pause to ask you to, to think back through this book. Was there a concept? Was there a sermon that, that really stands out in your memory? Was there a text that kind of popped? Now, some of you are at 24 of these sermons. Some of you might have hit 12. Maybe some of you are at six. For some in this room, this might be your first. Sometimes the last is the best. But I'd like you to think back. Was there, was there something that popped? Write it down. Put it in a note on your app, on your phone. Email me. I think that anything you begin to, to note that pops, uh, talk about it, whether electronically with me or with your spouse or your life group or your ABF. Process what, what stood out from these 24 sermons. I think anything you articulate will always stick in our memories better than we had not articulated it. So this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna fly through the book of Ephesians and we're gonna look at it from five different angles. All right, it's kind of like studying something and we're gonna look at it from the right side, the left side, the top side, the bottom side, from the inside. And we're gonna, we're gonna sprint through from five different aspects Checking out what Ephesians says. Short epistle. Now, it's a unique epistle. The Apostle Paul actually writes this from prison. So it's one of his prison epistles. But he didn't write it to correct an error. There are a lot of his epistles that were written for a specific to correct something. There was, maybe it's a false teaching. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Ephesians isn't one of those books. See, the Apostle Paul was writing back to the church in Ephesus to, to set a theological foundation for the fledgling church there. And I think in doing so, sets a theological foundation for every church ever since. I think this is a foundation for us at LEFC today. 
Well, the first angle I'd like to unpack with you this morning is the structure of the book. You see, I think the structure sets the course to understand this letter fully. Paul breaks the book in half. You could take a knife and slice it in half and you'd have part A and part B and it would be pretty clean. The first half of the book begins to explain why you can and should live differently. It's actually the basis of the whole book. The second half begins to explain what that life should look like. And if I were to start reading in Ephesians 1.1 all the way through Ephesians 6.24 this morning, you would feel that shift. You see, the end of chapter 3 ends with an amen. He finishes with this prayer and says, amen. And chapter 4 begins with an exhortation to, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. So this shift happens between an amen and a therefore. And you would feel it if you read this in its entirety. This, this, this first half of the book, some commentators call it the doctrinal discourse of chapters 1, 2, and 3, while 4, 5, and 6 is the, the practical application. Another writer says uh, it's almost as if our beliefs drive our behavior. Or you could say it this way, our duty really defines, I'm sorry, I flipped that, our doctrine defines our duty. Our beliefs and our behaviors, our doctrine and our duties, the structure emphasizes these realities. And so buckle up, I'm going I'm to paint a picture of what these two halves say. We're going to run through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, 5, and 6. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are key to understanding our identity in Christ. It's, it's essential for us to understand this and how we're actually seated with him. Note that they're first in order. They come before the second half. First half usually comes before the second half. So they're first in importance. You don't start in this book with do or don't do. You start with done. And you can't then, because of what Jesus has already done, what he's accomplished for us, you can then be and become. Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite chapters in all of God's word. It is a rich text. Ephesians 1 describes, at verses 3 through 14, describes the ways that, Christ, that God has blessed us in Christ. Now let me just rattle off the verbs here for you. Sit in this beautifully rich text. LEFC, in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen to be holy and without blame. You have been predestined. You've been adopted as his sons. You've been accepted in the beloved and redeemed through his blood according to the riches of his grace. You've been forgiven for your sins. You've been given wisdom and understanding of his will. Elias, you've been given an inheritance and you are called and charged to bring praise and glory to God. LAFC, you've been sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, and it's in that spirit that your inheritance has been guaranteed until your redemption has been fulfilled. 
Can I get an amen? amen? Thank you. You know, that text, those realities are true for you through Christ. Do you believe that? Thank you. Let's see, he, he wraps up Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 begins to paint this picture. It explains how the blessings described in chapter 1 are worked out in a world of brokenness, sin, and death. Though we were dead in our sin, God has made us alive through Christ and has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. All of these blessings and spiritual truths are a gift. There is nothing that you or I or we can do to earn them. They are gifted to us. We can only receive it by faith and believing in Christ, the one who accomplished redemption for us. We don't strive to attain. We can't pay off God to let us into the kingdom. It's not even about living a good life. It's about trusting in Christ. Ephesians 2, and this is the part, and again, if I would have written in my bulletin what popped, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, really stood out. That sermon, those couple sermons on, on that text stood out in my heart because it explains another tremendous blessing that both Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to God through Christ. That we as the church have been called and exhorted to live and model Radical unity. Radical unity. And that God's redemptive plan was not only to the Jewish people, but was to the Gentiles. It wasn't just about his chosen crew. It was a much broader circle. Well, Paul ends this first half by praying. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, Ken alluded to earlier, it's a long, beautiful prayer that Christ, that God would strengthen the church to know the love of Christ and for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, these realities in one, two, and three change the way we then live. Remember, our beliefs change our behavior. Our doctrine affects and drives our duty. And so Ephesians 4 then begins with a call for Christians to live a life worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. These three chapters, four, five, and six, describes how the followers of Jesus are to live in light of all that God has done. Chapters one, two, and three. You're gonna get used to this dance. You see, these chapters, four, five, and six, give us a blueprint for a changed life, which should result in a changed church. And Lord willing, then results in a changed and growing kingdom. Because as our lives change, Lord willing, so do those around us. Ephesians 4.17 says that we're no longer to walk and live as we used to. In light of what God has already done, chapters 1, 2, and 3, we're supposed to put off the old self, be renewed in mind, and put on the new self, Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24. In chapter 5, this is probably familiar language to you, but 
we are then instructed to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, applying it to our closest relationships, our marriages, our children, children, your parents, our slaves and masters within our workplace. We're called to then walk this reality out. Uh, We are to be imitators of God, walking worthy, walking in light, walking in love, and walking in wisdom. Paul then wraps up four, five, and six. He concludes it with a charge to then stand firm in the gospel in the face of any spiritual opposition. Take a breath. We just ran through. There's a quick overview of this incredible book. One, two, and three. It's our doctrine. Four, five, and six. This is is our, our duty. This is our behavior. And one, two, and three focuses on the doctrinal realities of the gospel, while four, five, and six focus on the practical application of that gospel. So that's the first angle. I'm gonna tag four themes as we wrap up this sermon. The first theme we're gonna talk about is posture. I think there's a theme of posture throughout this book. And what you see in chapter one is that Christ is seated with God at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And chapter two, verse six, tells us that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You're seated. Now we're all comfortable, right? Imagine yesterday, some of you probably did this, did you do yard work? You come in from a a day of work and out in the yard and you wanted to rest. Maybe you had a glass of iced tea or lemonade. Or I would open a can of Coke, classic, I'm healthy. (laughs) And I would rest. The work is done. I would be seated in my comfortable chair. Maybe your chair would, would flip out. Maybe it's a couch. Maybe it's on your back porch. Where in your house do you rest? Breathe. You're no longer striving. You're no longer working. You are seated and you are resting. Well, church, it's through Christ that we can be seated with him in the heavenlies. It's in these realities of Ephesians 1 that I rattled off a minute ago that we are supposed to rest in. And he tells us the first posture that we should take is one of resting. Resting in the beautiful realities of Jesus Christ. So that, chapter four, we can begin to walk. We can walk in a manner worthy. We, can, we don't have to, to walk as the Gentiles do. We can walk in love. We can walk in light. We can walk wisely. That walk then affects day in and day out in all the relationships that are closest to us, our oikos, our sphere of influence. And then lastly, you see, and Tyler preached on it last week, chapter six, verse 10, he tells us to stand therefore, to stand firm in the strength of the Lord. So this posture, this theme of posture begins with sitting and resting and then continues into a walk and concludes by standing firm. And you can't stand firm in the strength of the Lord if you're not appropriately resting and walking. 
What are you standing firm in if you're not resting in the realities of Jesus? How does this play out in your life, church? Do you have an identity in Christ to rest in? Are you resting in those realities? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you've been called? Are you standing firm? Not in your strength, but in the strength of the Lord. You see, the second angle that we're gonna look at this book through, the second theme, first being one of posture, the second is the mystery. And you've seen this 24 times, and it's probably so familiar you haven't noticed, but it's right behind me. One. One what? One. One. And one. Exactly. We're supposed to live this, walk this, united as one. This mystery that Paul references throughout the book of Ephesians, it's mentioned seven times, and each time it points back to this, this unity that, that might have been confusing in Ephesus and certainly is today. We see in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 that there's a vertical unity between heaven and earth. In chapter 3, we see that there's an ethnic unity that Paul is speaking to between Jews and Gentiles. In Ephesians 5, we see that there's a one flesh unity called marriage, that a husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. So we see a, a, a vertical unity, an ethnic unity, a one flesh unity, and then we see in Ephesians 6, 19 to 20, that the gospel is unity. And the verse Ken read a minute ago, Colossians 1, spells this out very plainly. It says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. So this mystery, let me, let me paint this picture. Here is God, the creator of all things, who sends his son to heaven to put on this shell of skin, to be born as an infant, and to live a life experiencing all the temptations, but never sinning. And he does so not for his joy, not because it was, oh, that'd be fun. Let me send my son down. He does so for you. Because what will bring him joy is us being united with him through his son, Jesus Christ, in the death that he experienced on the cross. This mystery is about union with Christ. And it's played out vertically, ethnically, in marriage, and it's the gospel. This is exactly why Paul is an ambassador in chains, because he's been preaching this mystery. Well, you can see that your, your posture affects the way, is, is affected by the way you understand and live out this mystery. Your posture is affected by the, the way that, that mystery is then expressed, the way it's rested in and expressed in your day-to-day -day life. But the crazy part, it's not just in our closest relationships. The way that is expressed 
also affects the heavenly realms. Tyler kind of preached us through this last week. But we see that uh, we are, Ephesians 1-3, blessed in the heavenly realms. That God, that Christ is seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And because of where Christ is, Ephesians 2-6, we are now seated with him there. Mind blown. Next step towards this is in Ephesians 3, 10. It says that his intent was that now through the church, through LEFC, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, not just within our oikos, but it should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And so our posture, the way we are living out this mystery begins to affect not just our marriages and our families and our workplaces, but it plays into the struggle that's happening in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so all of this, Ephesians, is building, it's building to Ephesians 6. Last week, Tyler spoke, kind of stepping us through 10, 11, 12, through verse 17. And the exhortation was to stand strong in the resources given you. And you can turn to Ephesians 6. Stand strong in the resources given you. And that's not a, a physical breastplate or helmet. I don't see any helmets out there. You know, I'm not seeing, no one, they weren't clinking when you came in with armor. But what I'm saying is stand strong, not in the elements of the armor, but in truth. Stand strong in righteousness, in peace, in faith, and in salvation. All of this is available to us because of Christ. Remember chapters 1, 2, and 3. If we are resting in Christ, then these resources are available to us to walk out and then stand in. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 6, Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. As Tyler mentioned last week, the sword of the Spirit and the word of God are interchangeable. You see here again, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is almost one and the same. I would like to suggest today that my NIV Bible actually puts a return between verses 17 and 18. Uh, if you look at it in other contexts, there's no hard return. This concept stays the same. And so it reads a little bit cleaner, right? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. There's no breath there. There could be a period, but there's no breath. That's not a different concept. And so there is a direct correlation between the armor of God and prayer. And when it says for us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit, what does it mean? Well, I'd like you to know, it doesn't pr say pray with the spirit. It's talking about praying in 
the spirit. It doesn't mention anything about our human spirit. Right? It's not about praying for what I want necessarily. God's not a genie. In the Our Father, we see him say, it is a, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't my wishes. No, what he's saying is we should pray in the Spirit through an abiding relationship with God that we are resting in and we are relying on the resources he's given us. And so what does this mean? That we should hold the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and pray in the spirit? I think it's inherently attached to this. I don't think we have to get creative or clever or or complicated in the way we pray. I think when we spend time in the word of God, we take these promises and we throw them right back at God. Pray his promises back to him. Pray his word. Allow a text to drive your prayers. Do that for a week. Pick a psalm, any psalm. Pick one, anyone. And take that psalm and pray the truths of that psalm in your time with the Lord. That's called meditating on God's word. It's, you're, you're doing so in, in the spirit. It doesn't have to be fancy. You see, we, at John 4, 24 says that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. John 14, 26 talks about the spirit. He, he's an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things and will mind you, remind you of everything that I have said. The Spirit uses his word to then drive our prayers and our thoughts and our heart back to him. They're inherently connected. Parents, please model this with your kids. The way you pray for and with your children Tell them so much, models so much about God to them. Parents, pray his word with your kids. It's significant. And that leads me to my last theme. We've looked at the posture and how that Paul kind of drips that throughout the whole thing. This mystery that is played out in the way we rest, in the way we live. And that affects not just our our physical oikos, but in the heavenly realms as well. And all of this, the resource we have to, to accomplish this is prayer. It's not a surprise that Paul concludes this foundational epistle with an exhortation to pray. Well, you see it in chapter one, verse three, that Paul begins this sermon, or the sermon, he begins this letter, this epistle, with a prayer of blessing and praise. And then he wraps up chapter one, verses 15 through 23, and he, it's this prayer that the readers might know the greatness of God's power in Christ. Verse 17 specifically says, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In all honesty, LEFC, I pray chapter 117 for you often, that God may give you 
a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. My adult men team prayed that text for you this week. Chapter three, Paul continues this theme of prayer and he ends it, chapter three, verses 14 to 21 with a further prayer for their strengthening in the spirit that God may strengthen you out of his glorious riches with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, prayer is a major piece of this and Paul in these prayers demonstrates how he is praying that the spirit would give us these things, power, revelation, Wisdom. Notice what Paul's not praying for. He's not praying for comfort. He's in prison. He's not playing, praying for the, the circumstances to go away. He's not praying for easy. No, he's praying for change through the Spirit in lives and in hearts. Let me reread these verses to you. I'll start in verse 17 again. Take the spirit, I'm sorry, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me, pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So did you note my manuscript study people out there? Verse 18, an observation. What word is repeated? In verse 14, the word all is repeated four times. I pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, always alert and for all people. All, 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 all. Why is that important? Why is it important to do it always? Because we're at war. Prayer is the weapon that God has given us. We have his word and we have prayer and they're both tied to the spirit. And this is important for us to be prayerful always because of the struggle that's existing out here in the heavenly realms. And secondly, why is it important? Because we need help. If you're anything like me, man, I don't know what I'm doing trying to fight in the heavenly realms. I can ask for help this way. And the reality is, so do you. You need help. So I need to pray on behalf of you that God would aid you in this struggle, giving you these resources to, to rest in and not try to fight it on our own. Prayer is a means to receive the guidance, wisdom, and strength needed to engage in this cosmic conflict. The problem is, and again, if you're anything like me, you don't pray those alls. You pray in sums. And that's not an S-U-M-S, -S, that's a S-O-M-E-S. -E you pray sometimes. If you're, anything like, like, if you're anything like me, you pray some kinds of prayers and requests. Sometimes you're alert. 
Sometimes we pray for people, probably the ones that we like. Why do we only pray sums? I don't feel like, I don't think we feel the weight of the war we're fighting. We pray in sums because our approach to war is inaccurate. Last week's sermon was a wake-up call. If you, have, if you missed it, check it out. It was great. It's a good reminder of the reality that we're living in. Why, why do we pray in sums? One, I don't think we understand war in the spiritual realm. But two, uh, I think we pray in sums because we aren't resting in the realities of chapters one, two, and three. I think we have an issue with, with this posture. And I don't think we fully, we don't fully understand that. And this is Matt included. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand that it's the same power that saves and justifies us that also sanctifies us. The same truths that we rest in are the same truths that we walk in. And those same truths that we rest in and walk in are the same truths that we stand in. And I don't think we understand that. Because we start with do, more often than not, than done. I think our understanding of this gospel reality drastically affects our prayer life. Lastly, why do we pray in sums? We don't understand war, we don't understand the gospel. It's this thing called sin. You and me, we are humans. We are inherently self-centered, fallen, sinful human beings. And that causes us to approach every single day with an I don't need help attitude. You are, we are all self-sufficient American Christians. Very individualistic. Why am I gonna ask for help when I can do this on my own? The problem is it's already been done. And when we live life with that individualistic, American, materialistic, self-sufficient attitude, we're not resting. Our posture's off. Charles Spurgeon says this, so deep are our necessities that until we are in heaven, we must not cease to pray. Do you want nothing? then I fear you do not know your poverty. Have you no mercy to ask of God? Then may the Lord's mercy show you your misery. Be encouraged today, church. (laughs) You see, Paul lived this. He's begging for prayer. He's in chains. He's an ambassador in chains. And the prayer that he's asking for is for his words, for wisdom, for strength to make known the mystery of this gospel, that there would be unity between Gentiles and Jews in Christ, and between, more importantly, between humanity and God, the Father, creator of all things. He's in chains because of this message. And he's asking for help to then declare it boldly, but yet he's in chains because he's declared it boldly. Well, this is how it should be. I love those last three words, as I should. We should have boldness and openness in the midst of opposition and adversity. 
We should fear no evil because of what's been done on our behalf. We should should be confident in Christ whose victory we should be resting in. Because that victory emboldens us to boldly and freely walk and live out and stand firm in the mystery while we share this message. Because we should be boldly and fearlessly declaring this reality. As the worship team comes out, we are going to conclude this sermon with a brief time of prayer and song. And I'm gonna ask that we engage in this prayer together. You can pray audibly. God can hear all of our prayers at the same time. I have four brief prayer points chosen. There's gonna be scripture on the side screens. You don't have to get creative, clever, or complicated. We're just gonna take his prayers and we're gonna pray them back to him. If you'd like to pray with a partner, feel free to do so. Um, But make sure your prayers are brief because we won't have much time on each prayer point. So Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for choosing us, for predestining us, for redeeming us. Father, thank you for sealing us. Father, thank you. Please pray now, just saying thanks to God. church, we're at war. Let's pray for the war that's happening spiritually in the heavenly realms. We've already prayed early in the service for the war that's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Father, we need your help in this struggle. Please help us to engage in this war appropriately. part of a church. Let's pray for each other. And we pray that that those around us, that LEFCers, that the bigger C church would live in a manner worthy, not as the Gentiles do. They would live in love and light and live with wisdom. Father, we pray for this message. We pray for boldness in the way we live it and in the way we speak it. Help us to boldly 
and fearlessly declare the gospel of this, this mystery, which is the gospel.
thought that our lives are an altar and that Christ would be magnified as we take step and step and step. What a, what a beautiful way to end a sermon series like this. But your lives are just that. They're an altar. And what you're, you're sacrificing on that altar comes back to what you're resting in, in and through Christ. So today, LEFC, if you'd like to continue to pray, we have friends in the encounter room, I'll be up here. Or if you'd, you'd like to learn more about this God who is able and worthy of being magnified, we'd love to pray with for you and talk to you about that. Don't forget the exhortation to, to write down a truth and share it with me or with someone else from 24 weeks in Ephesians. There's a lot there challenge you to get more than one. Let me close out with Paul's benediction. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. LAC, thanks for being here with us this morning and worshiping. We love you. Have a great day.